Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, Madhuni Krishnan, joined by Ned Russell as we discuss this week Delta's earnings and um, the tight labor market in the U.S. for airlines. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey there, Ned. How are you? I'm good, Madhu. How are you doing today? Well, it's that time of year again, as it seems always to be that time of year. For, well, like um, we like we say, it's uh, I think we get about a two week break from any airline, any given airline's earnings call before the next round starts. So actually, the, uh, this quarter, the last earnings we covered was March 30th. And now here it is, April 13th. So that's just about two weeks. Two weeks exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so as you know, Delta reported its first quarter 2022 earnings just this morning. We're recording this on uh, Wednesday, April 13th. Um and it was, as we expected, a quarter marked by two halves. So Exactly. <laughs> Everyone knows Omicron, the variant, hit the first half of the quarter. January and February were, you know, there was a lot of guidance about that, you know, those months were not going to be great for airlines. And then March uh, was going to be, uh, they were going to turn the corner. And it sounds like Delta really did turn the corner, quarter in, in turn the corner in March, Madhu. It did. I mean, um, so that's exactly right. I mean, until the president's, president's Day holiday here in the U.S., which is the middle of February, uh, Delta saw bookings and its, um, uh, you know, demand for travel, both domestic and international, really fell off a cliff. And then from President's Day onwards, demand really spiked. In fact, Delta was profitable, had about a, a 10% operating margin for the month of March. Um, wow, that's really profitable. Quite the switch. Yeah, but did lose money for the entire quarter, right. uh, as we expected. That was yeah, yes. exactly as we expected. But they're pretty, you know, Ed Bastian and company are pretty optimistic about the second quarter. Uh, they think they'll have uh, an operating margin between twelve and fourteen percent for the second quarter, which is, uh, you know, which is better than it's been for two years. And um, they they're really banking on what they saw in March continuing and sort of snowballing until we get to the peak summer season. For sure. And I think they're in good company. I've I've been looking at fares for travel between now and June. And uh, I have to say, they are not cheap for domestic flights, at least, uh, no. for the routes <laughs> I've looked at. So and, so it's uh, the demand is there and airlines are certainly betting that they can they, that people will buy the tickets. So Yeah, well, yeah. Bastion actually had a fun quote about that. He said his his crystal ball is only good for the next 60 to 90 days. And uh and that's sort of where the booking window is right now. So shorter than it's been historically, but longer than it was uh, during most of the pandemic when the booking window was, the booking curve was like 30 days. Um, so things are looking a little better, but fares are definitely rising. And, that, and you know, Delta attributed that to a couple of factors. One is their capacity will only be in the 80s, like around 84% of what it was in, in 2019. So they're flying fewer planes, but there is all this pent up demand. I know we hate saying pent up anything, but there's pent up demand. <laughs> it's uh, so cliche, but it's also true. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So the dam is going to break. It bro- started breaking in March, and um, and so yeah, there's there's less capacity, a lot of demand. People put off vacations for two years, and um, and Delta really thinks. Uh, that uh, that will affect ticket prices. Ticket it'll ticket prices will go up. The second factor, of course, is the war in Ukraine and what it's doing to energy prices. For sure, no. And actually, Delta is uh, sitting pretty as energy prices rise. Isn't that right? 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, Delta. So Ned and I were talking before we started recording this. Both of us have been covering the Trainer, Pennsylvania, Monroe Energy refinery that Delta bought in 2012. Since 2012. AKA the Trainer Refinery. The Trainer. <laughs> the Trainer Refinery. <laughs> right. Although Delta has shifted to, be, to calling it by its formal name, Monroe, recently. So the last few years. Anyway, we've been covering this since 2012. And I want to say, I think we've both been quite skeptical of it. I wrote about for years how it was not meeting the uh, the targets that Delta initially set out in 2012 when it bought the facility. Um, it's, uh, it's a different business, oil refining. Absolutely. And, you know, Delta, um, what analysts said at the time, what they've continued to say is that Delta has no experience in marketing or selling petroleum distillates and the logistics and transport. And- transportation and whatever, all that. And um, Phillips 66 was going to take over, was going to retain a lot of that marketing function, as I remember. Uh, but still, it was kind of rocky. I mean, Ned, both you and I have talk, written about and talked to people who said this it was kind of white elephant for a lot of years. Like it, it, it lost money as recently as 2019. It really did. I mean, it, some quarters it made money, some quarters it didn't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's... Um you know, and I remember, what was it, 2019 or 2018? Uh, so there were reports that Delta was looking to unload it even. That's right. So I, you know, but now it's, uh, that's turned a corner and it's actually, uh, it seems like Delta's rather happy that they never sold the facility. Yeah. And you know, when they bought the, the trainer refinery back in 2012, Delta touted it as like a natural hedge that it didn't actually have to, uh, you know, buy financial instruments and hedging their fuel costs. Instead, they had this refinery that would be a hedge. And they've, they now have seen that. I mean, it's, it'll see the trainer facility will result in a 20 cent per gallon reduction benefit to Delta's oil prices in the third quarter, which are fuel prices rather than the third quarter, which is huge. Definitely. I mean, multiplied over how many hundreds of thousands of gallons of fuel they, they, they use 20 cents is going to turn into some real savings. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the, um, it will it'll provide fuel for almost all of Delta's uh, New York operations, which is a big operation. Exactly. And uh, the 20. So but the 20 cent per gallon fuel benefit is system wide. So in, in aggregate, not just right. New York. Right. Um, now, another question that a lot of people have about Delta is fleet. You know, there's been reports of a potential max order and stuff. What what did they say on that end? Absolutely nothing about maxes. So we have to wait for another day, Ned, on the max. Um, no, Delta did say that it was, uh, you know, it was really, really positive about the A321 Neo. This, this is um, this is just starting to join its fleet now, and they have uh, they, they love the, the operating economics. They like the range. They like the sort of the size of it. So it's going to fit well with their fleet. They're taking delivery of several more. Um, seven, well, they're taking delivery of 70 aircraft this this year. I thought you wrote 26, well, 26 of those are Neos for this yes, for 2022. Yes, 70 yeah. in total, which includes gently used, as they like to say, aircraft that they didn't specify. But they're going to be taking you know a bunch of 220s, um, 320s, 330s, and um, 350s. So they're keeping it in the Airbus family. So we don't have anything to report about Max's today, unfortunately. Yeah. There's been some interesting discussion that I've been following along is, you know, there's lots of of, just of talk about the A321neo is more is the de facto 757 replacement we've, yeah. we've talked about. If Delta does order the Max 10, it could come in about 10 seats smaller than the 321neo, which hmm. could be very good for their fleet gauge between the 900ER and the A321neo in that. So it would... Um, 
I've seen the discussion that it could provide a nice step for Delta, sort of 10 seat increments as they go up. Huh. And we know Ed Bastian has said repeatedly that they don't want to be a single source, uh, you know, aircraft user. So uh, a max order seems likely at some point, though we don't, like you said, nothing more to say on the record on that just yet. Yeah, we were all hoping that there would be some big announcement today that would make our jobs easier in writing the story. But unfortunately, there was not. There's a lot of stuff on oil, but not, but nothing on maxes. Considering oil is the second biggest cost, uh, you know, co- expense for airlines, that's not an insignificant thing to uh, discuss. So. Well, I want to talk about the biggest cost in a second. But one last thought on oil is this This surprised me, Ned, that 80% of the trainer's output is diesel and gasoline. And 20% is jet fuel and other distillates. So, um, uh, you know, Delta, we, we forget that Delta also benefits from the sale of diesel and gasoline. And we've all, if anyone's gone to the pump recently and filled their car, they know that uh, that's, a, that's a good business to be in at the moment. Oh, for sure. And I imagine the 20 cent benefit that Delta is going to receive is including the savings plus whatever sales they get from you know, actually, diesel. And- it did not specify that. Now, if I'm looking at this correctly and I... I Believe I am. Wait, I mean, wait. Delta- I'd like our readers to know that Madhu looks like he has a printed out version of Delta's financial statement in front of him. Hard copy, IRL. <laughs> yes, it is true. I do, and I'm not ashamed of it. So, Ned, don't try to shame me into like loving paper. I like paper. Papers, I I write on paper. What? Anyway, okay, that's. <laughs> Ned and I will talk offline about that. But, uh, but you know, for the. For the three three months that ended on March thirty first, the uh, refinery produced about one point two billion dollars in revenue. Now, what do you think that's compared with? <laughs> one point two compared with oh, with twenty nineteen. Yeah. Um, if I remember correctly, one hundred and twenty eight million. Uh, for the first quarter, no, forty eight million. Forty eight. That I mean, what's the that is a what twelve twenty fold increase. I'm not doing the math in my um, head. Someone, I mean, huge. Yes. Um, That's a sizable benefit straight to Delta's bottom line. Right. So, you know, like I said, if you've been to the pump recently, you know that uh, ga- the gasoline business is a good business to be in. I prefer my bike, but thank you, Madhu. All right. Let's, let's squeeze in a quick break here. And we're back. Ned, so let's let's shift from Delta a little bit and talk about something you wrote about this week, and that is what summer capacity is looking like at a couple of carriers. That's right. So, you know, I've been following closely the staffing situation at U.S. Airlines. Uh, you know, there's a pilot shortage that's, that's particularly affecting regionals, but staffing issues are really across the board. We've, we've even Delta today said that a lot of enders struggling filling a lot of entry level positions where they compete with other big companies, Amazon, Home Depot, all of those. And so those that situation, the staffing situation, is starting to translate into very real capacity cuts uh, for airlines. Alaska Airlines last week said they're going to pull down flights by schedules by 2% through the end of June in order to, I mean, in order to base to, to operate at their current staffing levels. And then JetBlue said this or over the weekend that they will also be reducing schedules by up to 10%, asterisk, They'd already said maybe they were going to reduce them by 6 to 8%. So it's only a 2 to 4 point increase. It's not 10% fully uh, through the end of May. But JetBlue warned that their similar reductions are likely through the summer. So 
the staffing situation is really turning into a big, uh, sizable inhibitor of, of the airline recovery in the U.S. this summer. Well, you know, I want to talk about what uh, what where the choke points are for Alaska and JetBlue. And I did promise earlier in this broadcast that we would talk about Delta's biggest expense, which is labor. And that's this is that's what I wanted to get to here. Delta has hired 15,000 people since January 1st of 2021, 4,000 yes. alone this year. And but they've lost 18,000 exactly. during the pandemic. So they are still down. They are still down. Um, but their you know, capacity is 83%. However, the choke point for Delta, according to Bastion and company, is not pilots and flight attendants, but ground staff. So Everyone in the airport, reservation center, and also MX, maintenance technicians. Where, where are Alaska and JetBlue seeing the choke points? So Alaska is attributing their choke point to pilots, mm-hmm. which the union claims is a negotiating tactic in their uh, protracted contract negotiations that have been going on for several years. So it's hard to say how much of that is negotiations versus real. You know, I'd like to say it is uh, somewhere in between the two. Um but JetBlue, you know, they didn't attribute it directly. They said staffing. And from the my sources at JetBlue told me the issues are really across the board from pilots, flight attendants down to ground staff, airports, everything. So it's it's a it's a across the board struggle at JetBlue. Huh. And, you know, they're reporting earnings next week, I believe, though they haven't actually set a date. And that we should get some more some more color on that and exactly how much the ramification is going to be going in the summer, because if, if, as everyone probably remembers, U.S. Airlines already reduced capacity guidance uh, when oil first spiked in March, reduce it more, you're going to push up fares, especially with you know, leisure travel back to 2019 levels this summer. And Delta forecast business is going to be back to domestic business will be back to, what, 80%? Madhu, what did they forecast today? Thereabouts. In the, um, close, but not quite. Right. 2019. So. Yep. We're going to see a lot of full planes, and if capacity keeps coming out because of staffing situations, fares are going to go up. And I mean, this is a larger problem across the economy. We saw record inflation in uh, February, March. March numbers were just out, Madhu. Yeah, both both months yeah, of in the U.S. and airfares contributed to that. Now, I hate the fact that inflation looks at year over year comparisons because 2021 is not the best year to look at because fares were down compared to 2019. But even based on 2019, fares are are, are Sorry, not even fares are still below 2019 levels. So, but it looks like they could get back very quickly at the rate they're going. Yeah, you know, I I think it's worth stopping and thinking about um, about the the staffing problems for a second. And that's you know a lot of attention is paid to pilot pilot staffing and the pilot shortage, and rightfully so. I mean, this is something the industry is going to have to grapple with for several years. We've talked about it several times. It's all over the news. Yeah, Um, and you can't produce a pilot overnight. Like no, you can't months years to but yes yeah but the choke point for a lot of carriers and southwest said this last fall is is turning out to be entry-level airport positions without those employees you can't run an operation and we saw this in several several of the meltdowns we saw last fall were due to insufficient staffing at airports and not being able to handle the flights that were coming in that's and exactly and this is where, you know, this is where the 3.6% unemployment or the whatever we have right now, the really hot economy, the economy that's running hot really affects airlines. And that's, you know, what airlines are competing with Amazon, with Starbucks, with, with um, for maintenance personnel, with uh, highly other skilled 
companies that need skilled labor, manufacturing, um, auto production, all these sort of things. They're competing with the, all these companies for the same pool of talent. And even though pilots, you know, they're very trained and specific. I think this is going to be this is going to be really um, tough for airlines to figure out. Right, and it's, frankly, beyond you know, they, they, there's a lot of talk about it. it's also a um, wage issue because a yeah. lot of entry level employees, you know, minimum wages in the U.S. in many places are are still well below would equal well below the poverty line. Um, those other places have raised them. It's if you think about it, if you're going to earn what is starting at Amazon warehouse, fifteen, eighteen dollars an hour, depending on where you are, I plus think, benefits. Yeah, seventeen to twenty is about what, what's going now. There you go. So I'm a little, I was under lowballing a little bit. If you think about it, you do that at an airline. You're going to, even if you don't need specialized training, you have to go through all kinds of additional security checks. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's, there are more steps to working at an airline, to working at an airport, than there are to work in an Amazon warehouse, frankly. And that takes time. And when people are presented with that choice, I mean, it's 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 got to be a there's serious, you know, like, mm, I, you know, do I want to deal with that or do I just want to work at the warehouse? I don't know. I, and, it's, it's, you know, the other thing to consider as well, Ned, is that working on the ramp is not an easy job. Uh, if Like uh, Jude Bricker has made that joke several times, like enticing people to work outside in Minneapolis in January is not an easy sell. Right. So the, you have to factor that into the quality of the work, uh, the working environment. And there's no way to bring ramp employees indoors. Right. But right. It, that, that same employee might think I can make $18 an hour working with Amazon inside. It's going to be tough work, but I'll be inside or I can make the same amount or less working for an airline outside. Right. And I'm thinking ramp. like Delta's Atlanta hub. I mean, it can't be nice to work on the ramp in Atlanta in summer. No. Whereas, you know, right. Amazon warehouse might not be, you know, it's still going to be hard work, but at least you're in an air conditioned warehouse. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, this is, this is something that's new for airlines having to compete for, you know, for, for years, airlines have been able to off, offer the, you know, the fringe benefits of working for an airline or you know, travel or what have you. And, now, when we're at this like three point seven percent unemployment, that's really not enough. I, I, it's going to be a tough nut to figure out because, as I, we mentioned, I mean, pilots are trained, right? Like they they are trained to do this very complex job, but it, those skills are not immediately transferable to working for, say, General Motors. Absolutely. Uh, one thing I want to ask you is Delta recently rolled out a pay increase for mm-hmm. most staff, not unionized pilots, but most other staff. Uh, have what? Did they give any commentary on, you know, do they see that as necessary to attract new workers? Is that just payback for not giving raises for a few years? How is Delta management looking at that? Well, so the 4% increase that goes into effect in May is uh, partially a reward for, for staff that, you know, have been working under pretty intense conditions for two years, but also Bastion said it is a recruiting tool, right? Especially for these, uh, these grounds, ground employees. <clears throat> so, I mean, that they're hoping and Delta is not unionized for the most part, except for its pilots. And I think there's one other work group, right? Ned? There may be, but I don't have it in front of me. They are for the most part un- non-unionized, right. but yes. Yeah. So I guess the, the company's hoping the 4% increases is, um, is enough to attract employees. Now, interestingly, Bastion did say, or maybe it wasn't Bastion coming in Howenstein's, did, did say that uh, that in broad strokes, their pay scales remain the same. You know, they'll go okay. 4%, 4% higher, but in broad strokes, they're basically the same. So they're not, in other words, they're not rewriting the playbook 
to attract more employees. Right, right. Well, it'll be interesting to see if uh, if that helps at all, because frankly, the window is closing very rapidly on hiring for the summer. You know, yeah. The summer season in the U.S. Is, starts after Memorial Day, which is less than two months away. So if, if they want, if, if they need more staff, if an airline needs more staff for the summer season, it's, it's yeah, that window is rapidly closing. Yeah, and I'll, I will be keeping an eye, and both of us will. I mean, Ned, it was really interesting to read your story earlier this week that, that you know, JetBlue is having staffing problems across the board. Alaska is mainly in the highly trained and specific employees like pilots. And Delta says it's, uh, you know, sort of entry-level ground staff in MX. So... Yeah. Um, and next week we have American United Southwest, probably JetBlue in Alaska. So we should hopefully have some more color on the situation. Absolutely, we will. Uh, we will look forward to hearing from that, uh, hearing from them, and also from you, our our listeners. If you have any color on the employment situation in the U.S., we'd love to hear from you at er at skiff .com. That's e r for Edward Russell, who goes by Ned. <laughs> And thank you, Madhu. Thank you. <laughs> Just explaining that to people who don't know. Um, and mu at skiff.com for me, Madhu and Christian. So I think with that, let's wrap it, Ned. Sounds good. Another great week, Madhu. Look forward to the next one. Same here. And thank you for all of you to listening to our, our podcast. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge Podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.